The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here. And on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by Laura Logano, cannabis wellness pioneer, author, nutrition and wellness consultant, and much more. And Laura, I'm delighted to have you on the show today. And if you don't mind, can you please do a more in-depth intro for our listeners and viewers? Sure. Well, I mean, that that pretty much covered it. Uh, I mean, by training and for a long time, I've been a registered dietitian nutritionist. And, uh, you know, people seem to be sometimes surprised when they find out that I'm in cannabis. But then when I remind them that cannabis is a plant and nutritionists uh, tend to favor plants, they then it seems to make a little bit more sense. And then, of course, when I go into the fact that, you know, I'm in wellness and making people better. And that's what cannabis does. And over, I'm an author. Um, I've been, a, through my whole career, I've always been a writer. Uh, I was lucky enough to uh, write a book with St. Martin's Press called The CBD Oil Miracle. Uh, but I have to say, I primarily see myself as uh, an educator. And of course, authors are educators. And that years ago, and when we first met Mike, I think you were one of the first people I met in New York in uh, the cannabis business. And I, uh, I'm the co-founder and education director of the Holistic Cannabis Academy. So that was really the one of the very, very first online learning platforms about um, cannabis, particularly about integrating it with other uh, modalities, you know, rather than treating it in the um, sort of pharma paradigm, which be which is like one drug for one bug, I would never say to somebody, you know, just, yeah, just use cannabis for this. I want people to change other lifestyle behaviors. It's always more than one thing. You know, we don't want to look at it just a one, one thing approach. Got it. Thank you for that. And I'm curious, when, when did you start with the the holistic cannabis education and you know when did we meet it must have been like 2015 is that right 2014 2015 yes yes it was about then it was it, it was a long it was you know in, in the cannabis that doesn't seem like that long ago but in the cannabis world it's actually a very long time ago and there have as we both know there have been people who've come and gone since then and there are new people and uh, it, it's very different. I felt like in the beginning, and I, and I mean, I know there was a beginning before that, obviously. Cannabis has been around longer than tea. And of course, there was things going on in California, you know, across the country that, that weren't happening in our neck of the woods. But um, it was definitely, I felt like a, a true community um, in the beginning. You know, it was a true community. Everybody knew each other. Um, you had, you know, great meetings with, with high NY and, you know, we just got to, everybody really got to know one another. It was, it was great. And, you know, unfortunately nobody's doing that now, uh, during the pandemic. So that sort of stinks because it sort of goes against everything that cannabis is, um, 
you know, and I, it's one of the talks that I give is that cannabis in and of itself promotes community. It's just the way the plant works and the way the sharing of the plant works and, you know, in, in general. But, but the way I got into it was uh, I, I have a daughter who has, uh, who has a developmental delay. It's called, uh, I don't know why a doctor didn't put his name on this. It's called interstitial duplication of chromosome 15. You know, no, nobody's going to remember that. So it, it is on chromosome 15. And over the, you know, she had uh, seizures when she was young. And I know people assume that I used uh, cannabis because that's probably one of the most well-known uh, medical reasons for using cannabis. But it wasn't cannabis uh, because this was years ago when she was a baby. And uh, no, it was food. It was actually food and nutrition. Uh, one of the most well-known ways, and this is usually in a clinical capacity, is using a ketogenic, very high-fat diet. But I didn't do it in a clinical setting. I did it at home. And I was able to, you know, completely ameliorate her, her seizures. But, you know, she there were other challenges over the years. And I used many, many different things, not just nutrition and food, but numerous, uh, numerous modalities. And, um, that's how I got to that's how I got to cannabis was you know looking to see you know what else might uh, ben what else might benefit her and um, then you know when I started you know researching that for her I had to do that all on my own I couldn't go to the neurologist who was like completely freak out uh, if I asked him about that, you know, people didn't even want to tell their doctor that they took supplements like, you know, a you know, like a vitamin D. So certainly I wasn't going to say anything about cannabis, whether it was a hemp derived CBD or anything else. And so I had to do all that research myself. And I realized that, wow, what about everybody else? that could, not just the people who could benefit from them, but people like me, I was already a health practitioner. I had never heard about the endocannabinoid system. That was a mystery. Of course, I learned about that. I, you know, cannabinoids, I mean, I knew what THC was, but I didn't know about all these other cannabinoids. I did know about terpenes because of course, as a nutritionist, you know what terpenes are because they're in plants and there's something that, you know, give plants, the you know their aromatics and essential oils, but there was so much to know, and I realized this would be a good opportunity to teach other people. So you know we created an online learning platform about integrating cannabis with nutrition and aromatherapy, and on on and on. Yeah, wow. So it's a very familiar story in many ways because I I find that. So many people have that experience where, you know, whether a loved one is sick or they're sick or, or something happens where they start researching or looking for answers, and then they discover all this information about cannabis and look around and say, hey, did you guys know this? Did anyone know this? And, you know, that's, I, I heard you, you took that learning and decided to build an online education platform. And, you know, in my personal experience, many years ago, when I and I formed, you know, when I learned all this stuff, it was like, wow, 
people need to know this. And I started that offline in real life learning platform of getting people together, talking about it and hearing from those in the know. And unfortunately, as you said, in the pandemic time, there's not as much of that happening these days. But um, I, I certainly appreciate that once you found out some of that information, you were inspired to share it because you understood how powerful it was and how many people it could benefit. And so I want to ask you on that note, Laura, tell me about writing the book and that whole process and, and what inspired you to do that and how did that come about? Uh, well, it came about because uh, an, an editor, a person who works for um, uh, St. Martin's Press, a, a, a smaller imprint called Castle Point, uh, came to me and asked me if I would be interested. And they had an outline and they asked me if I would write the book. And I did have to write it in a very short period of time. It was like three months. And so what was the experience like? It was very, very stressful uh, is, what it was, <laughs> is what it was like. And it was stressful because I had a whole lot of things going on in my life at the time. I was, uh, you know, splitting up with my business partner. Uh, my daughter, Isabella, the one who I mentioned who has the developmental delay was aging out of the educational system. And with uh, anybody who's listening, who knows about that, knows that's like falling off a cliff because then I had to figure out, well, which, what is she going to do? Where is she going to work? It's not like having a neurotypical kid who then graduates and, and you know, you hope and pray that they're going to launch, but you know that they can do those things on their own. So there's a lot that has to go into that. And, and then my other daughter, uh, was helping out with with Isabella so that it was just all around it was it was very stressful uh but it got done and you know the book um you know it, it it's gotten great reviews I mean it is and you know it's interesting because one of the things that happened and I know you'll appreciate this Mike you know it's a book about CBD and originally, because of course that's what they wanted, you know, that CBD, if you remember the book, that was 2018. That is when it just exploded. Interestingly enough, prior to that, a lot of the, um, and I'm not gonna name names, but a lot of well-known people in the cannabis world, and I'm talking about, this, this was more in the medical side, would say that there was a difference between CBD derived from hemp and CBD derived from marijuana. And just for the sake of your listeners, and this is this this is just what the U.S. Farm Bill came up with. You, you know as well as I do. Over 0.3% THC is marijuana, and under 0.3% THC is hemp. But at the end of the day. Uh, they come from the same plant. So this, of course, to me as a nutritionist made no sense. The CBD is the same coming from those two plants. What's going to be different are, probably, are clearly the other cannabinoids because in marijuana, you're going to have THC. And, you know, when they, it, it always makes me giggle a little when they say above 0.3% THC, good luck finding marijuana that has 
as low as 5% THC. That just doesn't exist anymore. This isn't the 70s. Uh, you know, most of them that you'd find, even with a really high CBD content, and even in a medical marijuana dispensary, I'd say they're upwards of 20, of at least 20%. So the rate is much, much higher. And, and I know there's some things going on now about maybe increasing that 0.3% in certain cases to 1%. So, so that, that, that would be interesting. But in the book, uh, they clearly had in the outline that they were throwing the baby out with the bathwater, really demonizing THC. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. I said, that's not the way to do this. We can talk about CBD as one of the cannabinoids, but in the whole book, I am going to be talking about the endocannabinoid system and other cannabinoids, specifically THC, because there are many health conditions where hemp-derived CBD alone is not going to do the trick. And I need to point that out. And there also are going to be cases where CBD isn't going to work at all, you know, and maybe even medical marijuana isn't going to work. So, you know, we have to be really mindful about that. I think there's a tendency for all of us. And I mean, the, the name of the book is the CBD oil miracle. I did not name it. The publisher named it, but that's clearly what people buy. You know, they want to know because we're, aren't we always looking for a miracle? I mean, look at what's going on now. We want uh, a vaccine, right, to be a miracle. Uh, and to really, I, I, nobody thought it was going to go this long. So that's what people, that's what people look for. And, but at the same token, I have to say that uh, cannabis is very applicable in so many health conditions. And I think once people understand the endocannabinoid system and what that is and how it works and how it overlays with every other system in the body. And, you know, you, you have to get hit over the head with that many times before you really can grasp it. Because at first it sounds like, what? What, 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 what's that? What, what do you, you know, when I tell, uh, when I tell my colleagues in nutrition and other dietitians, you know, the endocannabinoid system is what regulates eating behavior. That is a pretty big deal. And, and they can relate to that when they think about, oh, the munchies. I said, but that's not the only way. It, it doesn't just make people hungry, you know, but you can see that people who have uh, eating disorders like hyperphagia, which is severe overeating, which by the way, my daughter has, it's, regulated by the endocannabinoid system. That, that's how we had, you know, a drug for Prader-Willi, which is also on chromosome 15. And, and one of the hallmarks of Prader-Willi is hyperphagia or overeating. And the drug that was created, oh, it worked very well to, to you know, mitigate eating. But what else did it do? It, it, it triggered suicidality and suicidal ideation because it's also affecting our pleasure system and our serotonin. So it made people depressed. So this is where, again, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, wow. And I'm gonna say a word about miracles because I think 
Oh, someone is ringing my doorbell. Isn't that lovely timing? A word about miracles, because I really think cannabis is a miracle plant in a lot of ways because of the variety of applications it has, not just as, you know, a a healing agent or from a functional nutrition standpoint, but also all the industrial uses of hemp and just the versatility of this natural resource is nothing short of miraculous to me. And I want to ask you, Laura, what are some common misconceptions about using cannabis for wellness and using cannabis to support good health that you want to either debunk or disagree with or or just provide some better education for people? Uh, I'm going to say my number one pet peeve is when people refer to CBD as non-psychoactive. That really irritates me. So the reason why CBD works uh, with things like anxiety, I mean, and that's, that, that's probably the primary reason why CBD is used, especially now during COVID. You know, first we had people who had, you know, anxiety, uh, social anxiety, because they didn't want to be with people. But now, now we have anxiety because we're not with people. So, you know, I think the social anxiety people might be doing okay now. This is, this is you know, this is good for them. But for the rest of us, it's not good. So the reason why CBD works is because it, it's the same thing that I just mentioned earlier about with how using this particular drug tamped down that that system, that pleasure system. And now we know that because it is psychoactive. And I don't know when, Mike, I don't know if you have any insight into this, when the word psychoactive became a bad word. Because the funny thing is, everybody knows that caffeine is psychoactive. Everyone. Kids know that caffeine is psychoactive. And speaking of kids, think about what kids do. They love to spin around, right? I'm talking about spinning in circles until they fall down or going on a, going on a swing. Even a, a girlfriend of mine sent me a, a picture of her, her grandson and he was doing some crazy things sitting in his high chair I don't think he could even walk at the time or stand, just spinning his head around. And I said, God, what the hell is he doing? And she said, oh, I think he gets a rush from it. But so throughout history, people have sought ways to bring psychoactivity in their lives. And I'm not talking about Snoop Dogg checking out psychoactivity. Let me just say, I I like Snoop Dogg, but I'm not talking about that level of psychoactivity. I'm just talking about a mild psychoactivity. And this is a question I often say to people when they talk about what does it mean to be high? And is that either, and is that a bad thing? Well, no, not if you have, uh, you know, some sort of endocannabinoid dysfunction and tone. If you think about all of these tightly wound people, I mean, Mike, how many, I don't know how many times I've done this, too many to count, but I've had thought in my head, that person could really use a hit off a joint because 
the person is so tightly wound, I cannot, you know, because you know that that will help to bring them down a little. And ultimately what it's doing is it's balancing their endocannabinoid system. And, and, and you know, caffeine was only one example. There are many other uh, food ingredients in plants that are psych that are that have a level of uh, psychoactivity, and nobody seems to mind that. But for some reason, it as a way to um, throw the baby out with the bathwater and separate THC from CBD, a lot of the 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 hemp companies said, "Oh no!" It had a, felt the need to say that it was psychoactive, and I think. I just think that's a mistake. I, I was I was at a talk when there were in-person talks, and um, there was a hemp hemp uh, company on the stage, and this person was freaking out that I was saying CBD was non-psychoactive. I mean, I, I thought he was going to literally have a stroke right there and then. It was crazy, but I, I thought, why? It's okay, you know. We want to educate people, and you know why? Uh, why fool them? You know, Laura, there's so many things in there that I'd love to respond to. First of all, I, I feel like to the point about caffeine, I feel like so many people don't even know that caffeine is a drug or they don't even make that connection. And then as far as how many times I've like looked at people and thought they could really benefit from you know, some cannabis, definitely too many to count, especially with with some of the neurotic people in my life. <laughs> um, you know, psychoactive, it's so interesting. Like, it, it's this scary word, right? You know, that most people probably don't even know what it means. And it's it's funny to me, it reminds me of I have a friend who was a chef, and is very much a cannabis um we'll say enthusiast connoisseur researcher nerd whatever and he said something to me once uh, around this topic that i thought was so fascinating which is you know he said food is a drug food is a narcotic food can mm -hmm. can be psychedelic and psychoactive you know especially if you're really into it and you have like some you know really world class delicious something or other and you know, it could, it could easily get people high. And I thought, you know, I never had considered that perspective. And I thought he's totally right, you know, for, for foodies anyway, it, it definitely can have that intoxicating, you know, not in the, not in the, you know, medical sense of the word, but in the kind of mind altering state sense of the word. And the question you asked that I love so much, because I think it's such a tricky question. What does it mean to be high or to mm -hmm. get high? And I had, I had a, a, a first time medical patient I was speaking with a few weeks ago who, you know, asked that very question and was afraid because she'd never experienced what it meant to be high. And, and her, her association for many years was that that's a bad thing or that's a dangerous thing or or whatnot. And it's really <laughs> such a such an interesting question. I'm so I'm curious what answer you offer for what does it mean to be high? Well, <laughs> I, I think for different 
people, of course, it means different things. Uh, but I would say that um, when we're talking about a, a medical patient, so let, let's just let's just talk about a medical marijuana patient right now, and, and that's a big worry that, as you pointed out, that medical marijuana patients have. You know, they need to do their work or live their life, you know, so they don't want to be high. And if they generally, depending on what their health condition is, most of the time for medical marijuana patients, they really should be microdosing. So using small amounts of cannabis throughout the day. And, you know, microdosing again is different for everyone. I mean, there's, uh, and just to give you an example, I had to answer a question on a, on a listserv the other day. And this was, this is a nutrition listserv, but questions come up about cannabis and I usually try to answer them. And one, this was about, they, they were talking about a specific product and I was familiar with the product and it was an edible product. And this edible is 10 milligrams of THC. Now, 10 milligrams of THC, you would never ever in a million years give that to somebody who had never used cannabis before. But I would also like to underscore that also may be way too much, even half of that, even a quarter of that may, may be too much for somebody who is accustomed to cannabis. People's endocannabinoid system and their tolerance levels are different. And I can, uh, let me tell you, and the easy example is caffeine. We're just gonna keep talking about caffeine. We have, and, and it's the same with, with, with cannabis and with different cannabinoids. We all have a different genetic propensity and for certain uh, chemicals. So I'm just gonna call caffeine and THC chemicals. And that has to do with our detoxification system in our bodies, which, you know, and, and there are enzymes involved. These, this is, and generally uh, it's genetics, it's gender, it's body weight, it's age, all these things play in. So for caffeine, for those people who can have, you know, a triple espresso at 11.55 and be asleep at midnight, they are fast caffeine metabolizers. They're getting rid of that caffeine quickly. And I would vent most people who have had coffee, they know. People know, they don't need to get the genetic test. They know whether they're a fast or slow caffeine metabolizer. And like many genetic uh, predispositions, it's often related to, to your genetics, which are often related to your origin, your ancestry. I am uh, perhaps the only Italian who is a slow caffeine metabolizer. So nope, <laughs> everybody else is fast, but I, you know, caffeine for me is, I'd have to just have it early in the day if I, unless I want to stay up, you know, later, but it's the same with, um, you know, with all the cannabinoids, not, not just, not just THC. So you have to look at that level and think then if the person, you know, what does it mean to be high? If you're taking your sweet spot, okay? There's, there's a sweet spot amount, milligram amount 
of THC or CBD or whatever your goal cannabinoid is that is going to satisfy your endocannabinoid tone. It's going to satisfy that. And here's the thing, Mike, and this is the thing that people don't want to hear. I cannot tell you what that number is. I can guess empirically because of my experience and what of working with people and what you're telling me about yourself and your lifestyle and other things you respond to. But ultimately, this is trial and error. This is trial and error. You're, you're, you know, and, and the same thing with even the mode of, of, of administration, you know, for people uh, who, who want to be going, you know, all day with a certain effect, they may have to uh, use an edible or an oil rather than inhalation. Uh, but if you want an immediate effect, then inhalation is the, is the way to go. So, you know, there's a lot, of, there, there are a lot of things to know and it is very much trial and error. And I think what happens to some people who are freaked out, they may have gotten high once in high school and it was a very bad experience. And so they don't wanna do it again. You know, and what I have to say to that is, well, that's 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 cool. That's that's okay. But if you're, but if you have a health condition and this is the right medicine for you, then maybe we need to look at what 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 else what you can try now under a more supervised condition, and you know, with product from a medical marijuana dispensary rather than the guy on the corner. Right. I got high in high school once. I liked it though. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, I want to ask you a question about edibles because uh, here's one thing that I, I find is tricky and kind of difficult to explain to people is that let's say, even if you know your sweet spot, even if you know that, hey, you know, seven and a half milligrams is really the ideal situation for me, for example. Um, if you're eating that, or if you're consuming via edible or tincture, you could have that same dosage, even that same product. But if you have it before eating or after eating, or depending on what you've been eating, it might have a different absorption or impact on you. Can you speak to that a little? Yes, uh, that can definitely happen. There are also things that uh, seasonally can be different. Uh, so, you know, a, a, something that, that, that has happened to me often is somebody will say to me, uh, and this is actually non-related to, to cannabis, but it could be related to cannabis. Somebody will say, they ate something that I told them to eat or they used a supplement that I told them to use and they got it, they had a terrible headache and they immediately want to blame it on what my recommendation is, of course. And it's actually the barometric pressure or the pollen. So this is a thing that we always have to remember. What I said earlier, it's never just one thing. Uh, so in, for cannabis in general, particularly with edibles, you do want to have it with food is going to potentiate the absorption. So it's sort of like uh, the opposite of alcohol. 
Whereas, you know, with alcohol, an empty stomach is, you're, it's going to absorb fa uh, faster. It's the opposite with cannabis. So with cannabis, because it is lipophilic, which me lipo means fat, philic means loving. So it's fat loving. So, it, so if you see mo most of the preparations that are out there uh, are in oils and technically a tincture actually means it's in an alcohol base. Um, so the oil that the tincture comes in will help with the absorption, but so would, you know, a, you know, a, a food that had, you know, a fat in it, whether it was, you know, some avocado or, you know, other full fat yogurt or other, you know, other food products. So, but you will also have a different effect also based on where you are emotionally and mentally. I mean, and I think people already know this about other things in life. I mean, I, you know, I always say that the thinking about things that are stressful is worse than the actual doing. You know, once you get to the point of doing it, you've already stressed yourself out with the thinking. And it's usually not that, it's usually not that bad. So that process is going to affect you. Like if somebody comes to me and says, I don't think you can help me. I do not try to convince that person. I say, you're right. I can't help you. If you think I can't help you, and if you think you can't be helped, then you can't be helped. I mean, this is, yes, there, there's a whole, you know, the power of positive thinking and all of that, but this is all so very true. These stories and these narratives that we tell ourselves are going to impact our life. You know, I always say the universe answers. If you think you're going to have a bad day, well, you probably are going to, and you're convinced you probably are going to have a bad day. So yes, I think that that affects it. If you're going into uh, using cannabis and you think it's not going to help you or you think you're going to freak out, that's probably what's going to happen. Right. And to that point, I want to get back to miracles for one second, because <laughs> I think it's important, especially in the world we live in today with all the stressful stuff that's happening. You know, you're not going to get miracles I mean, you can, you can get miracles, even if you don't expect them, but it's better. I, and I invite everyone here, ask for the miracles, welcome the miracles, you know, imagine them happening to you. And you'll, you might be surprised with what the universe, how the universe answers those calls. Um, Laura, I want to, I want to shift gears into some coaching, if you're willing. And uh, before we do, I just want to give you a chance. Is there anything that perhaps we didn't cover that you really would love to mention or discuss before we shift gears? Uh, I, I would say that, that I believe that it is really important for healthcare professionals to get educated about the uh, about the endocannabinoid system and about the plant and to really have their minds open. There's a tendency among all healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, dietitians, to only believe what they learned in school. Uh, and since of course, very few of us learned about the endocannabinoid system or cannabis, 
then that can't be true. Now, I, I, I do have to say that many are a little bit uh, frightened because they pay a lot of money for uh, liability insurance. And sadly, uh, cannabis is still federally illegal. So if they work in a federally uh, funded institution, you know, th th there's a lot of valid trepidation there. But I think to learn about it is only to love the plant. And really, you'll have so many aha moments. Like I, I had, the aha moments I had were so r ridiculous. I, you know, every, so many things made sense, not only about my daughter, but my health, other people's health, for patients. It just made a lot of sense. So I think get, get educated, go to holisticcanada.com. And and use the, and use the code, Mike. What code should we use for your broadcast? Hi, Mike Z. That's what I was going to say. Just hi, Mike Z or Mike Z. Oh, you could do Mike Z. Mike Z is fine. Yeah, let's put in Mike Z for a special discount. Yay! At oh, thank you. Wonderful. I have another question. Actually, I just remembered uh, before we shift gears, which is about bioavailability. And, mm. you know, if someone is taking edibles or tincture, or even if they're consuming, actually, I'm not sure if it would make a difference, but uh, I'll, I'll pose it to you if, if someone is inhaling, if there's any way to improve bioavailability. Um, I know with, with ingestion, with food, there are some ways, potentially, or some other ingredients that you can use to either make it more bioavailable or if you've had too much, you know, to kind of uh, dampen the effect, if you will. Can you speak right. to that a bit, Laura? Well, that has most to do with the terpenes. And we didn't really talk about that that much. You know, we have, I don't know how many hundreds of different cannabis strains, which technically are really called cultivars or chemovars with all these names. And at one time I used to think these are crazy names like, you know, Bubba Kush and AK-47 and Blue Dream. And, uh, but if you actually look at plants like flowers and things, those also have crazy names too, because they allow the, the, the cultivator names the plant. But the difference between uh, all of these different cannabis uh, cultivars has, yes, it does have to do with the ratio of CBD to THC and other cannabinoids, but it really has mostly to do with the terpenoids, with the terpenes. That's where you're going to see your difference. And that's also what can affect uh, how, the, how the plant affects you. So probably one of the most well-known in the, in the in the cannabis consumption world is myrcene. So myrcene is uh, also found in mangoes and myrcene produces what is uh, lovingly called couch lock. So myrcene is going to make you feel very, very relaxed as will linalool, which is in lavender. And most people know, you know, there's so many lavender infused pro, uh, personal products on the market, candles, bath products, lotions, et cetera, for, for relaxation. Where something like peppermint, 
is going to be more stimulating. So we do know that the terpene content is going to affect you. And as far as let, let's say if you uh, overconsume cannabis, there one of the things you can do is actually chew on peppercorns. Uh, not that, uh, you know, peppercorns contain beta caryophylline, which tends to then mitigate the effect of, of, of THC. But, you know, the thing to do if you ever overconsume, you don't need to go to the emergency room. You're not going to die. And the reason why you're not going to die is because we have very few endocannabinoid receptors in our brain stem where our vegetative functions are for breathing and heart rate. So you have to make sure you're with a friend, drink a lot of water because the solution to, po to pollution is dilution. So you wanna drink a lot of water, lay down, just chew on some peppercorn and stay cool. Easier said than done for some folks, but great advice nonetheless. Laura, let's shift gears to the coaching and I will ask you, what is your biggest business buzzkill or roadblock right now? Uh, I, I would say, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, um, I, I see myself as a communicator and as an educator. That's what I did and still do in nutrition. And that's certainly what I do in cannabis. And it's always in regard to uh, health health and health and wellness. Yes, if you asked me a, a couple of questions about other, you know, about extraction and growing, and I know a little bit about all those things related to cannabis, but I'm not an expert. I am an expert in the medical applications of, of cannabis. And with anything now, pretty much in the world, any questions people have, where do people go? They go to Google. So here's where it, it, it does become challenging. First, there's the, the notion, what I already mentioned, is that people, people don't know what they don't know, right? So if you don't know it, you don't know that you need to know it. So the endocannabinoid system, and I think because it has the word cannabinoid in it, in some ways may have done it a disservice. If they named it something else, it wouldn't have been so off-putting because we still have so much canophobia. And we've come a long way, clearly. We've come a long way. We have what, is, is it 35 states in DC with medical marijuana? Th that's a long way. When I met you, Mike, I think there were 10 states, if even. So that- Not even, I don't even think there were. I think we had just gotten to like four or, or for, are you talking medical? I'm talking medical. Oh, I think medical. we had 10 yeah, medical. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. there was Sorry, virtually right. nothing. There was virtually nothing for adult use. Yeah. And, and I was like, you know, Colorado and California, it, it, it's always on the West Coast, of course. But I, I think that, so there's that aspect of people like not knowing they need to be educated about something. But then there's the other aspect that people just want to get their education for free online. And as my mother always said, you get what you pay for. So, you know, that, that is, I, I think that's always the risk when you're providing in particular uh, any sort of health or medical education. I mean, even with, with nutrition, people can do a lot of research on their own online. Now, whether or not they're applying things correctly is, 
is another thing. But, you know, over the years, I no longer have what I would call the low-lying fruit of nutrition for people who want to be well or have their family be well because they figure they can get that, you know, that information is plentiful on the internet. And of course, now with, uh, I mean, cannabis, as we know, that it, that is like the hottest topic, you know, food, food and cannabis, two things that I'm in are the two things that people like to talk about. Um, but they, they want it for free. They, they, they generally want this information for free. So I think that is the challenge of, you know, how to not have your education program be a loss leader. This is something that the pharmaceutical industry invented, which was very, very smart. They created, uh, and this has been going on for quite a long time. You know, if they have a new, uh, a new drug or a, uh, a device or whatever that comes out, the education that they provide is free to learn about the device or to learn about the drug or to learn about the health condition because, and that's called a loss leader because now that somebody's gonna prescribe, the drug is going to be described, uh, prescribed or the device is gonna be purchased or whatever. Now, in my case, at this point, uh, I, I do not have a product. Now, what I, I would love to be able to, at some point in my, in my, cur my current, uh, state that I live in New Jersey, I would love to be able to produce edibles. I mean, it makes perfect sense for me to, um, to do that. Now, that, that is, you know, if that ever happens, you know, right now, New Jersey is just vertically integrated, which means that you have to be doing every piece of the business. We don't even have edibles at, the, at this point. It would have to, they'd have to come, uh, forward with their make good on their promise of having you know micro micro businesses and and as we know that it's not as i always tell people it's not like opening up a shoe store you don't just order the shoes to get the property and voila it doesn't work like that you, you have to it, there's a lot more involved so I, I you know i think that's a big issue and it's gotten in the beginning with with the business, with the holistic cannabis education, it was more about, did people think they needed it? It was too new, uh, you know, we were just too progressive. Uh, people were afraid that canophobia was way bigger then than it is now, although it still exists. But now there's more information out there. You know, we, we have, there's tons of websites now and blogs and devoted to cannabis, you know, magazines. People can get a lot of information out there now. Yeah. So first of all, I have to say, believe it or not, I've, I don't know if I've ever heard the term canophobia before. And I just, oh. I think that is a phenomenal, phenomenal term because it's certainly a real thing and certainly still a challenge for everyone in the community. Yeah, I, I wrote about it in the Huffington Post in 2015, I think. Oh, nice, awesome, very cool. Oh, I'm I guess I'm canophilic. That's a <laughs> the, the new term that I'm going to toss out there. But, Laura, I, what I'm hearing from you is that 
the 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 roadblock is either figuring out how to position the value that you offer so that people get it or it's you know the flip side of that is kind of having people understand why this stuff is so important for them that enough to the point that they're they're willing to pay for it instead of kind of you know taking a a more casual approach of oh well i'll just see what i can dig up on google right so that i mean i'm talking about the mostly the health practitioners who you know may want to because they're definitely getting asked questions about everybody is uh, about whether or not cannabis is going to be appropriate because they're hearing about it. And of course, they're asking, needless to say, about CBD, because nobody knows how to select CBD. That is something that people have no clue. Uh, I mean, I, I have it. It's across the street from me for 1999. Now, I, and I said to somebody, that is really a case where you get where you pay for. Do you actually think there's any CBD in there for $19.99 for an ounce? I mean, I don't even know if it says the milligrams on the bottle, but it's so misleading. But I think in many cases, sadly, there are practitioners who say, I, I had somebody say this to me a couple of weeks ago. Well, you know, what what's involved with recommending, you know, and this person was not a, uh, it was a healthcare professional, not, not a doctor, not a dietitian. Uh, what's involved? I mean, if I wanted, uh, if I think somebody needs vitamin D, I just say, take vitamin D. And I said, well, uh, I don't do that. And he said, oh, well, that's a different, you, you, we have a different model. I said, no, I'm actually a nutritionist. So my model is to teach people and investigate, you know, what they're eating and whether or not they even need that, that product. And I'm going to educate them. So if I'm giving somebody and recommending uh, CBD, a CBD oil or, you know, extract, whatever format it might be in, I'm certainly going to know a lot about that person and what type of CBD but I don't think you can get that information. I know you can't just by scouring uh, the internet. You, you, and that that therein lies the rub. I think a lot of times people don't want to pay for education, um, or as I said, I mean I know this is people don't know what they don't know. It, it's I mean it it sounds like the silliest statement, but it's true. All right, let me ask you. Let's just focus in on a particular customer or client type. I'm, I'm hearing it's the healthcare practitioners. Is that right? Well, that's typically who would purchase the program. Correct. Different, ty different types of health practitioners, right? So what is the most valuable part or greatest value that they get out of your program? Well, you know, they're certainly learning about the endocannabinoid system, the plant and how to apply it. And they also take an exam uh, and get, um, you know, a certification as a holistic cannabis practitioner. So I think the value is the value is the knowledge and then the application of the knowledge. And what is the application of that knowledge allow for them in their practice or business and as it relates to their patients or clients? 
Well, I think what it does is at that point, then it gives them another tool in their toolbox to, I mean, ultimately, if you're a healthcare practitioner, what you're supposed to be doing is healing your clients, right? I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So this is giving you another another tool. And I think in a lot of cases, if you're not using this tool, you're actually doing harm to your patient because that may be the tool, the best tool that your patient your patient needs. And uh, what it should be doing for the practitioner is also even helping, even though this is a no-no to talk about this, is helping them increase their bottom line because now they might be getting in uh, consults from people who they wouldn't have heard from before. You know, people are gonna be coming to see them who uh, wanna talk, who know about cannabis and they couldn't have they couldn't have answered those questions before. And of course, if they wanted to, they could also then open up, you know, a wholesale account to sell. The only thing they can really sell would be hemp-derived CBD. Got it. So I'm hearing that it's a way for healthcare practitioners to take better care of their patients, to avoid doing harm and potentially to increase their bottom line because they'll be able to offer uh, consultation on a new interest area that as far as I can tell, and as far as you've probably experienced, there's only more and more and more interest in. So, I mean, that sounds pretty valuable. I feel like you know, I, I guess what, what comes to mind for me as a salesperson is, you know, just being able to demonstrate the clear ROI of like, hey, you know, I know you don't want to get, you don't no, you, nobody wants to pay for school kind of thing. But, you know, this investment of however much is going to result in, you know, this, that and this within X time, you know, I think that's critical because if it's like, hey, this thing pays for itself in half a year, you know, or or much sooner, then it, it goes from like, you know, this annoying expense from for for education. And mm-hmm. you know, in my, in my experience, I, I shouldn't say this, but a lot of healthcare practitioners are, you know, they think they already know it all. And Correct. so, so education, I think already is like kind of a, a little bit of like a hmm thing for them. But I think if, if you can get them to see it as here's an investment that is going to pay for itself and many times over and will do so fairly quickly, you know, I think then it, it's a, it's a more interesting or compelling, uh, you know, packaging for them. Mm-hmm. At least those are my two cents. I don't know. What do you think? What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I, I think that that uh, is definitely the case for certain practitioners. You know, they definitely want to know uh, if they're going to make their, their money back. But then I think in, in general, uh, doctors in particular, and I'm not saying that uh, the, the program itself wasn't originally created for doctors. It was really created for nutritionists and aromatherapists and other practitioners because we're the ones who do the education. I mean, have you ever, whoever has sat with a doctor for an hour, an hour and a half, 
maybe if you're having surgery or it's, but not for not not for a general visit that doctors don't go into you know medicine because they want to be educators that's not that's not the reason why so i it, the interesting thing that i have found and this is always curious to me is that the the healthcare professionals who probably make the least amount of money are the ones to spend the ones who are interested in spending the most on education so if we make the assumption that doctors are making the most amount of money which in general they are uh, and i'm not saying that we haven't had doctors take the program we have but Yes, I do think that showing the ROI would be good. Uh, and of course, it's going to depend what people charge. I mean, you know, there are people who might, uh, you know, I, I know, for instance, that neurologists who I've taken my daughter to, you know, one visit, and those visits would be about an hour, that could be $750. Uh, Whereas, you know, an hour with, uh, you know, an aromatherapist or a health coach, that may only be $100. So it really depends on what the person charges. But then if you add to that selling products, then that can really bring in the income more quickly, for sure. But, the, the, but there is a challenge with that, too. You, you, uh, and that also has to do with the Internet. You can't sell a product that people can get online. They'll only buy it from you for a short period of time. So you have to sell a product that they that uh, is only available to healthcare professionals, or maybe you have an exclusive with or you white label. Got it. Okay. Do you feel like we made any progress on this challenge? <laughs> I, well, I think you confirmed what I know, I don't think what I've been doing, I don't think I've, I've been uh, communicating that well, you know, the, the ROI piece. I think I do communicate well, this will help you help your patients, but maybe that's just not enough. You yeah, know? maybe. So I'm gonna throw this out there and feel free to, you know, not take it or, or whatever, but, you know, maybe part of it is more messaging around how this is going to help them help themselves. Yes, because people are so self-involved uh, that <laughs> that could that could be that that yes, that could be how it's going to help them to build a better practice. Yeah. And, and I'm going to throw out this, this one of my favorite combination of buzzwords here, which is how it might improve their own financial health. Yes. Because who doesn't want that, right? Right. Right. No, ab ab absolutely. Oh, I think some people want it more than others, or they want a larger uh, fi financial health. Yes. Yeah, that 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 uh, that that's a good buzzword to use for sure. So I got financial health, and you got canophobia. <laughs> that sounds like a great deal to me. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's it's funny just to say that it's like I don't have a canophobia. No way. <laughs> but so, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Mike, I I want to ask you another another question, and I don't know if this is a coaching coaching question or something. Uh, 
whatever your own experience with with cannabis so we talked we talked a bunch about edibles and obviously edibles are something that are very interesting to me clearly as a nutritionist and uh, for a lot of people particularly people of certain generation or, or not edibles are the way to go because people don't want to be inhaling whether it's you know old school smoking a, a joint or a pipe or even, you know, a vaporizer. But of course, I mean, we don't know what the effects of the, of the oils are on our lung. We really don't. And I, I know that they can be very convenient for people who are microdosing throughout the day. Um, so I'm not against it, but I think there are things we still don't know. So edibles are really, um, and I think we're gonna see a lot. I think we're gonna see a lot in edibles. And I think what we're gonna see a lot of in two are beverages. And, and beverages are very tricky uh, because beverages generally aren't oily. And, you know, ca cannabinoids, while they're lipophilic, they don't, they don't like water. They don't like water. So, you know, they're hydrophobic. So that, it, that's, a, that's a problem. So my thought with edibles would always be, I would not be making an artificially sugar-laden gummy, even though I know, I just read something recently. I mean, gummies are just, you know, breaking the bank. I mean, gummies are what people buy. And I think gummies are what people buy because that is what they've seen. Now, they've also seen pot brownies in college, uh, but the, interestingly enough, I, I don't think that there are a lot of companies that have those, probably because the product would be so tiny you know, a gummy is tiny and nobody wants a tiny brownie, right? So that that's my analysis of that. Whether it's accurate, I don't know. But a gummy wouldn't be what I would be doing. I would be doing some other product that was way more nutrition forward. And I really wonder, I, you know, I don't want to get into a business where I decide to make the most fabulous product, but nobody wants to buy it. And is that, do you think that there is a market? Now I'm gonna here where we are in, in, on the East Coast in New York and New Jersey for a nutrition forward edible. So I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking, okay. I'm not saying it would be a kale chip. Remember when kale chips were big, but Yes. Love kale think, chips. Think think less gummy, more kale chip, but maybe somewhere in the in between. Yeah. So you're asking for my opinion if I think that there's yeah. a demand for that. Right. And 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 coaching regarding that, whether that is something to explore and how to explore it, like focus groups or you know, things like that. Yeah, so I can tell you, I believe with a hundred billion zillion percent certainty that there's a lot of demand for that or a lot of potential for that. And I'm, of course, speaking from, as we all tend to do, from my personal bias, because I, you know, as someone who, who, tries to be health conscious and tries to eat well and healthy, you know, 
I'm aware of like, I, I don't want a gummy. I mean, I love gummies in general, cannabis infused or not, because, you know, they're delicious and sugary treats. And, you know, I, I probably get some dopamine or something out of them that, that <laughs> makes me, you know, feel, feel a little great. But, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people, and, and I, I've seen this actually, you know, I, I've had uh, friends who, who made like vegan edibles that were really, you know, healthy and, and kind of um, not the traditional brownies or kind of more stonery things, if you will. And I think there's a huge, huge market for that because, you know, especially folks who care about wellness and who are already, you know, conscious of, Hey, what, what am I eating here? Is this natural or is this, you know, natural flavors or whatnot? You know, I think people want to eat stuff that's, that's like plant-based and organic and clean and, and truly good for you. And so I have no doubt that there's going to be, especially as things mature a bit because I, I think on the east coast we're still kind of in the stone ages here unfortunately yeah. um and you know to the point you made earlier like you go into the dispensary in new jersey and the the amount of options there is laughable so you know i think once these markets really open up then it's going to become very obvious where where there are gaps and you know there's going to be people who who want that like more refined you know healthy elegant clean experience and i can tell you i'm one of those folks like i'm not going to you know to the point where like i won't consume an oil pen period you know mm -hmm. i i did in the past but the more i learned about it the more i realized uh you know i'd rather go to a different method um, because of the unknown there of the, you know, the oil and the lungs and all that stuff. Like, so I, I, I believe that it goes hand in hand with the market opening up and more education being available, because I think once consumers get access to more choices, they'll start becoming more educated and a little more, uh, intentional and nuanced in their choices. At least that's my hope, you know, will it take some time? Certainly. But, you know, I think I, I, I really believe, and I, I put it in my book, the cannabis business book, which is available on Amazon, that um, I really believe that food and beverage is going to be where the first like major worldwide known mainstream cannabis brands are going to come out of. And it's because everyone eats, everyone drinks. You know, not everyone vapes, not everyone smokes, not everyone, certainly not everyone dabs. And, and so I, I really think there is, a, there's definitely an opportunity there, you know, and I think it, it comes down to like most other CPGs or branded products, really knowing that target audience really well and understanding what I'll call what I'll call their their emotional triggers and their buying behaviors and and how mm -hmm. they make decisions about what they eat and 
so so that's my very long-winded answer there and I'll, I'll just add how do you find that out honestly i would just i would start with well what would i want if it were me you know if i was a really in the know health conscious person what kind of cannabis edible would i want you know to microdose or or you know what would easily fit into my wellness regimen that i can see others adopting and i can give you an an example of one thing that i've seen before which is you know it's a little tricky from a production standpoint transportation standpoint but you know everyone loves chocolate right everyone you, you i've seen these like great little tiny chocolate nibs or bites or whatever that are microdosed and I, I think that's a cool thing that you know it can be fair trade organic etc um but there's certainly other stuff that you know if you have a good convenient form factor i think can definitely play you know even kale chips i've if, if someone offered me an infused kale chip I just the novelty of it alone would be enough for me to to want to yeah. try it once. You it, know? It's it's interesting. Yeah, I I have a um a a friend and colleague who is actually on the faculty at you know at my holistic cannabis education program, and uh, she had some great products in Colorado that were nutrition forward. And you would think you know Colorado is you know already nutrition forward. I mean, when I think Colorado, I think Boulder. And, you know, that's like being in one giant Whole Foods. It, you know, every everything, any, anywhere you go, you know, nobody has to explain gluten-free or everybody's already doing it or dairy-free or anything. And she had uh, a series of, at least that I could think of right now, three, three really nutrition forward products. And, um, she couldn't sustain, the business couldn't sustain. And I don't know if it was because Colorado was already saturated at that point, you know, with edibles and you have to, but you can be sure that in, if we ever were to get edibles in New York and New Jersey, the first thing people are gonna be selling is, is gonna be gummies. I think it, it's almost like a, a de-education and a re-education. This is what people see. I mean, do you, remember the, do you remember the New York Times Magazine section with the article about CBD? It was a gummy on the front cover. It wasn't even on cannabis, on full on cannabis with THC, but it was a gummy. Yeah, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's a really interesting topic where, why are gummies so attractive? Because I, I know that you're right. I've, I've heard anecdotally from retailers and, and from distributors that, like, when, when I ask them what sells, you know, they say gummies. And yeah. for whatever reason, it's like what people... I don't know. I, you know what? What's coming to mind for me, which is like purely speculation, is that gummies. Like when I was a kid, gummies were like a fun treat, you know. And I feel like for some of these more, you know, well, I hate the word recreational, but for 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 more of the like social fun users, I feel like they could just view it as like, oh, this is you know, simple, small thing. It's kind of playful and, 
you know, it, it, it's like, it has this like childlike thing to it. Cause I don't yeah. know about you, but I feel like most adults don't eat gummies. No, generally. People, no, they're not buying gummies to, to eat them. And I wonder though, you know, now that you're, as you're speaking, I was thinking, cause there were no gummy, you know, when I was in school, there were no, I mean, yes, of course there were gummy candies, but the only edible that there was were people making homemade pot brownies. There was, there was nothing else. No, nobody was infusing sauces or anything, but I, you know, then I remember there were gummy vitamins and, and what was big also were gummy gummies with fish oil because, you know, fish oil, I always, I have a talk that I give about CBD and I always compare it to fish oil because, you know, at the nutrition trends, obviously I know what's going on and what's happened in the past and fish oil was big. Fish oil was really big, nothing compared to CBD. I can tell you, but fish oil was so big. And so they were creating different formats of fish oil because just to take fish oil alone by mouth, it's fairly heinous. So they had to either put something in it or make it into, a, you know, of course a gel cap is how it really went. And then, you know, making these gummies. So, you know, I, we'd have to investigate the, the history of the cannabis gummy. But I wonder if that was somebody who was involved in the supplement industry that had to do with those kind of gummies. That's a great question. Who popularized the infused gummy? gummy? Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I I wonder, I have a theory that maybe folks from the LSD trade had a hand in it, but I have no idea. I think it's a great question. And, you know, it's a, we'll, we'll chalk it up to a cannabis unsolved mystery, which, you know, if, if, if you're out there listening and, and you have a lead on who popularized the cannabis gummy, please let, let me know, please reach out. <laughs> yes. Mike and Laura want to know. Yeah, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> Laura, on that high note, I'm going to I'm going to thank you for joining me today and uh it's been a joy to catch up and I hope that sometime soon we can gather in person again and oh, have, you know, too. have those fun cannabis community events that that we were so used to pre-COVID. Absolutely. I hope so too, Mike. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.